Kia ora. Good morning, everybody. Beautiful day out there, isn't it? Well, thank you, Annalise, for uh, bringing that. That reminds us of where Michael left us last week as we looked at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, so what I want to do now, I'm just going to pray for us and then open up some more scripture for us to engage with today. Father, we thank you for scripture, that uh, powerful, powerful words such as 1 Corinthians 13 have shaped the lives of uh, people over centuries. And we're just, we just love it. It's just amazing how you speak to us. Uh, Lord, I just want to pray now that you'd open the eyes of our understanding to a whole new part of the Christian experience that we're going to look at today. So we pray your blessing on our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today we're going to talk about a phenomenon, the phenomenon of spiritual giftedness, the phenomenon of what it means to be fused together with God's Spirit. When we meet together, we're not just meeting together so that we can look at Scripture and understand ourselves and God in a, in a more informed way. We're actually meeting under the leadership of the Holy Spirit by virtue of the Holy Spirit being present and powerful in our midst, taking us, shaping us, engaging with us in powerful ways and in subtle ways. And this morning, as we look at the scripture, we're going to find some very, very specific gifts that Paul wants to talk about. Because in true Corinthian fashion, the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues is being messed with and is making a real problem for the Corinthian church. So what we're going to do today is we're going to be a fly on the wall and look at what it is that the Corinthian church was experiencing. But we're also going to look at how it is that we can engage with these gifts and what it means for us in today's context. You see, the thing is that God is bigger than your greatest experience. God is bigger than what you already understand to be the limit in which God might work in your midst. That's always been the case. Even Michael this morning, as he quoted Moses' experience when he was in front of that burning bush, who are you? Says Moses. God says, I am. I am. That's a pretty complete statement, isn't it? I am. So God is bigger than all of our experiences. But for us, we've been through different, um, maybe different experiences in church life. Maybe you're new to church life, new to scripture. Maybe you've been around a long time and your experiences have left you with some understandings, good, bad, or otherwise, concerning spiritual gifts. So this morning, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to have a look inside some of the churches of the first century, firstly. So the question I'd like to ask us is, what would a church service experience be like in the first century? Well, let's have a look at this from the book of Acts and see what it was that was happening when the church was first fully formed after Pentecost. It says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there was plenty going on, wasn't there? There was prayer, there was the breaking of bread, there was teaching, there's fellowship, people were becoming Christians, there were miracles happening in their midst, all of this done in a spirit of joy and unity and generosity. 
People were even selling their properties and, and giving the money to those who are in need. So a very, very cool experience for that fledgling church, that young church. A little bit later in the book of uh, Colossians, Paul writes to the Colossians and he, he, he paints a little bit of a different picture, maybe a little bit more of a mature picture of what the church was going through, recognizing that this piece of scripture that I just read now was happening in Jerusalem in the very first part of the church's life, maybe within the first year or two. So in Colossians, we're told by Paul, it says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So here we can see a little bit more structure in their service. The expectation is that when you arrived, uh, you would bring with you maybe a song that you were singing during the week and you want to share that with somebody. Uh, Definitely psalms from the Old Testament. Hymns were maybe the songs of the day. But there's a little bit more structure here. But what we don't see is what we have often here in New Zealand or around the world. We don't have microphones. We don't have lights. We don't have PowerPoints, don't even have bands probably in those days. And so in these relatively small groups, there was a high level of intimacy, a high level of knowing and being known. And in that context, it was a great way for which the spirit to be called upon, to be invited into those moments, to ensure that this was a spirit-led time together. And what Paul is going to describe to us is an affirmation about the Spirit's work in our midst, but also correction in respect to how it is that we should be functioning as a church. Now, the thing about these churches is that in Corinthians, as in, as in Acts, as in other parts of the Christian community in the day, these churches were relatively small. They met in homes and they would celebrate together in a, in a similar fashion to what we saw in Jerusalem there, breaking bread, sharing teaching, Uh, But the spiritual gifts, or should I say, the the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit were operating together to ensure that people would experience God with an immediacy, an intensity, and a level of inquiry that would cause them to be asking God for His presence, His power, His favor, His direction. So very, very um, engaging, very, very engaging. And I, I can imagine it was a very exciting time for them. So let's have a look at what Paul says in chapter 14 to the Corinthians as he talks about these gifts and how they should be functioning in the life of a church and in your personal life. Paul says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So let's just stop there for a moment. Um, we're talking today about prophecy and tongues. And what I'm going to do is talk about tongues firstly. So tongues is a, is a spiritual gift that is given to somebody in prayer. And that means that it's a language that you can use to pray. Oh, thanks, Clint. Cool. Um, it's a language that you use to pray. And it's a language that is designed by God, given by God, that allows your spirit to connect with God 
but it essentially bypasses your own thinking. And the reason why that happens is that your spirit often doesn't have the words to express what it is that's wanting to be said by your spirit with, to, and through to God. And so the gift of tongues is, um, is something that has been common throughout all of history, through the whole church. And remember, of course, that your experience is not the limit of what God can do and has done. So let's just remind ourselves of what happened in Acts here. The book of Acts, chapter 2, when the church was formed, the Spirit fell. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So if you read on, what we find the phenomenon is, is that these folks, was, the apostles, were speaking in different language, and yet others who were in the, in the crowd around them could hear God being praised in their own language, which was remarkable, isn't it? Now we say, wow, that's a pretty amazing thing. It would have been cool to have been there 2,000 years ago. Uh, a friend, friend of mine, Alvin, explained to me a couple of years ago how in his orchard that he owns, he had employed some people to do some pruning, and he was working alongside a guy who was really enthusiastic, and he had some worship music on, and he was pruning away, and he was speaking in tongues really loudly. And uh, during the break, some other folks who were working on the other side of the, the shelter belt, some folks uh, from India, came over and said, hey, we really appreciate how you're praising God in our language. Praising God in our language. Now, he had no idea that he was speaking an Indian language, and yet it was such an amazing affirmation for him to know that someone there was interpreting it, but essentially God had given him that uh, language to speak, I suspect, so that those folks could understand that God was being praised. So that's a, a little insight into how it is that the gift of tongues is used, even in today's context. But tongues is um, a personal prayer language. Okay, it's firstly, it's personal. And it's entirely up to you as to how it is that it's used. Now, it doesn't, this gift of tongues isn't something that everybody gets, and I'll explain that in a moment. But I know for myself, my own experience is, is, uh, is that the gift of tongues started for me in a time of, of need. I was really, really searching, really intense time. And I wanted to um, you know, express something to God. And all of a sudden, this language bubbled up out of me, and I was like, whoa, this is different. Oh, this is the gift of tongues. And I'd actually been seeking the Lord about that over about a month. And so this happened. The other thing that tongues gives you is the ability or freedom to pray for people whose needs are known, but you don't know the answers. You know how we often give God advice? Come on. A prayer meeting is when we all line up and tell God how to do his job. True? Maybe not quite that bad, but... When there are things going on in somebody's life, you know, it might be an illness or it might be a struggle with their business or some relational problems and you're going, Lord, can you just help them with this? And I find myself at times like that when the gift of tongues becomes a really important part of that prayer time because I'm saying something to God that I don't necessarily know, but I know in my spirit that it's meeting the need of what God is wanting to say during that time of intercession. You're essentially describing by your spirit what it is that God wants you to pray about. 
So it's a real gift of faith. The other side of it, as Paul describes, and we'll look at this in a few more moments, is that um, you can have tongues, but then the interpretation of tongues. And this is where somebody will bring a tongue and somebody else will say, I think I know what it is that you're saying here. And they will then say what it is. And that acts, those two people act together and bring essentially what is a prophetic word. Now, all of this happens in an environment of trust and confidence and in an environment of expectation. Um, over the last number of years, I've regularly gone down to join a whole lot of Baptist pastors, about 100 altogether, that we meet at Hanma. And we've, um, it's called the Hamner Retreat. And in that time, we have three days and three nights of, uh, of prayer and fasting. All we do is we drink coffee, tea, or orange juice for three days. And we just sit, um, we have three sessions of four hours each during a day. And we just have music playing. And we allow ourselves the freedom just to pray, to, to worship, to pray for one another. And that becomes, over time, a very intimate environment which gives us the freedom to be able to explore what it is that God might be saying to us. And so we're saying, hey, listen, um, I, I, have a, I have this picture in my mind or I've got a, a word that I think God is saying to you and somebody else will come in and pray and affirm that. And it's a very, very special time because there is a level of trust and intimacy and we've set ourselves apart for three days for this experience to hear God. So you can expect that there will be a level of intensity about it that is different to what we might even experience here in a church service. So these are really, really important things for us. But um, what I want to do now is just to say that uh, a few things that have caught, address a few things that have caught people over the years. Okay, let's just um, go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We looked at this chapter a couple of weeks ago, and this chapter reminds us of how the gifts of the Spirit actually function within the church. It says, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Now, first thing, you've got to just stop here. The work of the Spirit is not for you. The work of the Spirit is for others. Okay? So if you can imagine it, so um, imagine if Lewis down here, sorry to use you Lewis, but imagine if Lewis here had this incredible singing voice. And I said, Lewis, hey mate, we'd love you to sing a song for us, you know? Yep. Uh, no, it's all right. I just, this is an illustration. I'm not asking you to do that. But who knows? Might be onto something. And Lewis goes, nah, I said, come on, man, you've got a gift. I'd love to sing like you. Now, nah, why not? Don't want to. But, you know, now, nah, don't care. I'm happy where I'm at. Yeah, but you're happy, but we're not because you're not bringing the gift that would enhance what it is that God wants to do in worship. Now, nah, don't care. I'm just going to turn up, sit here like that. Close my, <laughs> fold my arms. Uh, Lewis is one of our producers. That's why I picked on him. You see, the gifts of the Spirit are for the common good, okay? That's why we're told we should be pressing into them, and we're going to have a look at that in a moment. But let's carry on in this, look at this, uh, this, this, these verses carry on. It says here, to one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom 
to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. See, these are tongues there, tongues and interpretation of tongues. But here's, here's the most important part, not the most important part, but here's the thing I'm picking up on today. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Okay? In some schools of thought, uh, in respect to different churches, there's, a, there's often a, a theology or a doctrine that defines a church. And the majority of Christian churches, well, let's say 98% of what we believe is all the same. But these couple of percentage of things, couple of percents, is that right? Couple of percents. Um, a little bit <laughs> is the difference. And sometimes the little bit is about whether um, you should have the gift of tongues or not to prove to somebody that you're a Christian. So in some circles, uh, maybe some really uh, extreme in Pentecostal circles, they'll say you have to speak in tongues Otherwise, you're not born again. All right? Now, the implication of that is way bigger than it sounds because what's being said is that you have to speak in tongues to be born again. If you're not born again, you're not a Christian. If you're not, you know, if you're not born again, you're not saved. Okay? You haven't received salvation until you've got this manifestation of the gifts. Yet what I'm reading here, behind me here in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, is that it's He, God, who determines who gets the gifts, right? So if anybody's ever said to you, you don't speak in tongues, therefore you're a, um, a second-class Christian, maybe, or even worse than that, you're not a Christian at all until you speak in tongues, that's actually incredibly incorrect. It's very condemning. Okay, so we don't want to don't touch that because it's untrue. We don't want to be saying here today that you have to speak in tongues, but the Spirit works and directs us as the Spirit gifts us and equips us. And so the most important thing for any one of us to do in respect to gifts is to be praying and seeking out what it is that we are gifted at. Then we bring that gift to the church in such a way that it's the church's gift, not yours. It's the church's gift, not yours. It's like we own this huge fleet of cars and everybody gets to drive one home during the week. Do you like that idea? Some of you think that's cool. That car belongs to the church. You get to use it. Same it is with a gift. You get to use it, but it belongs to the church. So in summary, saying this, spiritual gifts are gifts for the church, not for yourself. <clears throat> of course, there are other schools of thinking that suggest that... Um, the gifts of the Spirit disappeared or dried up when the apostles finished their work. The, the evidence for that is very, very limited because what we've seen over centuries is that the Spirit of God is deeply engaged with His people, making mission happen and allowing church to be what it is. The simple truth is that the Holy Spirit wasn't working in our lives. The very first gift that we have given to us is the gift of salvation. I know for myself, without any understanding about spiritual gifts at all, I had this radical reformation or revolution happen in my life when I asked Christ into my life. That was a gift of the Spirit. That was 
an incredibly powerful time in my life, which caused everybody else around me to be scratching their heads and wondering, what's happened to this guy? That's a gift of the Spirit. And so each one of us, regardless of what what background we've come from, we should be reminding ourselves that God is bigger than our own experience, that God continues to prove himself through his word, that the Spirit is alive and active. And I, I know for myself that it can be the simplest of things that are doing that all the time, reminding us that God is always present, powerful, and active. Just let me, let me get, say what I'm trying to describe here. Simple as last night. I uh, went out last night with my wife. Uh, there was a gathering of some folks I've known for a long time. And amongst them was a guy who's been really, really unwell. And uh, he was used to be a pastor in the, in the city here. I said, hey, mate, how are you doing? And he goes, well, he says, um, I, I got told I won't make Christmas. He's got cancer. And he says, but I'm determined to give my doctor a Christmas card. I said, that's the spirit. You know, and he says, but the reality is, you know, without a real, real powerful miracle, I'm going to go to be with the Lord pretty soon. And so Michaela and I were talking to him and just listening, and this, this word funeral came to my mind, and I'm like, oh, that's pretty depressing. You know, what am I going to do with that? And because I was sort of like, oh, man, we could pray for you now. And he, and he said, hey, look, if you can get your church to pray for me, that'd be cool. Okay, so we'll, we'll do something with that next week. But in um, this word funeral came to my mind, and I said, hey, mate, um, when you go, you know a lot of people in the city, you've spent all your life here, you've been involved with a whole lot of different levels. I said, um, would you be open to having your funeral hosted at Bethlehem Baptist Church because we've got the ability to cater for a larger crowd? And he, he just looked at me and went, you know what? That's a word from the Lord, Craig. I said, why is that? He said, because just yesterday I was talking to my wife and said, hey, I think it'd be really cool if I had my funeral at Bethlehem Baptist Church. Now, to me, you know, funeral, mm -hmm, that's a pretty sensitive subject to talk about. I raised it, fear and trembling. He lit up and it's given him a whole lot of peace, you know, about what's going to happen. Just another little box that can be ticked off in this journey towards being with the Lord. So was that incredible revelation that talked about, you know, hordes of people pouring over the borders to, you know, burn our harvests and take our children away? No. This is just regular, everyday, you know, I think I heard a word there, I'll trust it and give it a go, you know? So the gifts of the Spirit are not for you, they are for the church. So Paul says here, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. Now, you'll notice that Paul spends the majority of his time in these two verses just talking about prophecy. Uh, sorry, about tongues, but he also mentions prophecy, especially prophecy. And prophecy is that where we speak by revelation the truths of God. Okay, so... This can be revelation that is accumulated revelation, which is essentially what I do now. What I bring to you is accumulated revelation from Scripture and my life experience and an understanding that God is in this moment right now with me to, to, to speak. Uh, but prophecy is also uh, determining the reality of what is happening right now. When you read the Old Testament prophets, 
what you find is that the prophet's first responsibility is to define reality. What is happening right now? And that's why when you read the prophets, they often have this, this sort of, uh, the use of words like this. They describe Israel as saying to them, um, you bring your sacrifices to me, but your hearts are far away from me. Okay, so you're doing religion, but really you're just playing games here. You know, so that will be a time when God will say to people, hey, listen, you've got to sharpen up your act a bit. You know, everything, all this pomp and ceremony, and it all looks really good, but I know where your hearts are at. You've got to work on that. Come back to your first love. That's what uh, John said in the book of Revelation, didn't he, to the church. The other way, sort of roll, sorry, the other way of prophecy rolls on from that, whereby God will use a prophet to tell people what will come if they do respond well or respond poorly to that. You know, your, uh, your fields will be blessed. Your sons and daughters will be blessed. You know, the, your cities will prosper if you follow the ways of the Lord. Uh, but the alternative is the, uh, you know, the Amalekites are going to storm across the border, take your crops, take your kids, take your wives, ride off with your donkeys, and you'll all be put to the sword if you're lucky. Okay, so that's the sort of picture of what a prophet brings. But it's not always as dramatic as what we read in the Old Testament. For the reason why we're invited to de desire the greater gifts is because the greater gifts in prophecy are really about us raising up each other in a spirit of love and a spirit of admonishment. And we'll touch on this soon, but admonishing one another is correcting one another. So prophecy sort of works a little bit like this picture. I'm trying to draw a picture here of what it's about. But the truth of what God does when he brings his word to people uh, is that he uses human personality. He uses people to do this. And so there's a fusion between the spirit of God, the word of God, the work of Christ and the revelation that he brings and the person who is the messenger. And so we start often down this way with human personality and we're trying to discern the difference between what it is that we think and what it is that God is saying, right? But when we are in a position where we're more intensely engaged with what God is doing, we get less of me and more of God. So I'd like to think that on day three at Hanma, after three days of prayer and fasting, looking out for each other, seeking each other, we're more tuned with what God is saying in that moment than we were than when we started three days before. Does that make sense? But also, the reason being that uh, Paul tells the prophets to check in on one another, prophets should gather two or three together and compare notes, basically, is to encourage people to be accountable. Okay, he, God doesn't want some, um, some crazy guy who thinks that he's God's gift to everybody running around the church telling them what to do. Prophets should be lining up with one another, ensuring that what they bring is appropriate, it's accurate, it's safe, it's pastoral, it's caring and accurate. Okay, And so we have this fusion going on between the Holy Spirit and the person who's being used of God to bring a word. Okay, and it could be a word to you just across the coffee cup, a coffee cup. It could be a word to you from uh, your life group. It could be a word to you from um, from the pulpit. One of the most powerful words that I find happens most evenings is when my wife says, "Honey, can you do the dishes?" That's a powerful word that 
of prophecy that if I don't act upon has incredible ramifications. <laughs> I'm sure you agree. I'm sure you understand that. All right. Spiritual gifts of tongues, spiritual gifts of tongues and prophecy are for guidance and sanctification. Let's touch on the big word first. Sanctification means that over time, as you stick with God, stick with his word, stick with church and Christian folk, sanctification means that you become more like Jesus. Okay? Not too complicated when we put it that way, is it? Become more like Jesus. So the work of uh, the community around you as people bring scripture, bring sermons, bring the word, bring a direction or a description to you of what it is that they feel God might be saying to you, that allows God to work in your life. And if you take that seriously, you'll find that you'll become more like Jesus, which is our ultimate goal. But uh, prophecy is also for guidance, just as tongues is also for guidance, because it gives people a greater level of direction in regards to what their life is about. I know for myself over the years, when I look back um, the big picture for me, the big story, is where I've ended up now. But the little story is a whole lot of connected uh, times when I've had people make suggestions to me in a kind way. And I roll the clock back 30 years ago, and um, some people said to me, Craig, we see who you are and how you do what you do. Have you ever thought about becoming a church minister? I'm like, no, I haven't thought about becoming a church minister. And they said, explore it. And so I did, you know, and then I went to, I applied at the college and they accepted me. I was at the college in my final year and someone says, hey, Craig, we think you'd make a great student president. Would you be prepared to do that? Oh, well, if you think so. And so I got invited to be the student president. Somebody approached me and Michaela. They rocked up to Auckland to try to spy on me preaching one Sunday from Bethlehem Baptist Church, from the call committee. And uh, then I got invited to be the pastor here 25 years ago. Nine years ago now, uh, a group of people came to me and said, Craig, we would like to invite you to apply to be the Baptist national leader. So that's how it happens. And so for me, prophecy was people speaking into my life, suggesting that this could be the next step for me. Okay? And it's framed in this way because... I think when people are operating in prophecy, uh, it's, it's mature, it's not aggressive, it's a suggestion, it's a could you explore sort of question. It's the ability for someone to say, hey, listen, if you would do this, do you think God could be in that? That's what prophecy looks like. It doesn't have to be this raging statement when you're running around with your, with your fur skin coat on, half naked, running through the desert saying, thus say the Lord, you know? Okay, if you see anybody coming to church like that, just run. <laughs> just run. Okay, I don't care what they say to you, just run. But let me give you an example of, um, of this. I just, maybe I'm overindulging here a little bit, but um, three weeks ago, I went out for a, for a hunt in the Eurowares. Had a few days and I thought I just needed a break. So uh, unusually, I went out on my own. I, don't, I normally, normally go with someone. And, um, but this is an area that I'm quite familiar with. So I went out and <clears throat> found the place that we normally set up camp and I put my tarpaulin over my string, blessed it as my home for the night, or the next three nights as it was planned. And uh, that afternoon I went for a, for a big walk, but on the way out from the camp, I um, took some red, mask, uh, red tape, electrician's tape, and I just started every 10 or 15 metres just putting this, this tape on, 
some tree branches, you see, because this area is relatively close to camp, but it's a little bit dodgy, you know, you sort of get lost easy. So I thought, I know when I'm coming back at night, I could find this red tape and make my way back to the camp. So anyway, I wander off and uh, all day up and down hills and uh, turn around, come back, and it's just about dark and I see a stag. So I say, praise the Lord. And uh, so anyway, I got the stag and, um, and I was in my normal style, I chop it up there and then, do the butchering, and, um, and I put it all on my back, just had the hind legs on my back and the rest of the meat in my backpack, and I turned my torch off, and it was pitch black. In the time that I'd been butchering this animal, it just, the lights had gone out completely. No moon, no stars. I'm like, ah, well, I'm not too far away from camp. Maybe only 10 to 15 minutes max. And I've got my little red markers. So I wander off. And I find my first little red marker. But you know what happened? The guy who put those little red markers on, he didn't make them close enough. He got lazy and he started to spread them too far out. So there I was with my torch with my red marker and I couldn't find the next one. But hey, I'm a good boy scout. So I had my GPS. Woohoo! Okay. So I thought, sweet. So I turned it on and there it was. And it told me exactly where I was which is of no use to me at all. <laughs> but I'd already marked where the camp was, you see. So I dialed up camp, pushed camp, and then it drew a line between where I am and the camp, right? And it said it was 500 metres away, which isn't very far, eh, 500 metres. But now I had a problem because I was looking at this screen and I forgot my glasses. <laughs> I'm at a stage in age now where when lights are dim, I need glasses. So I was like this. And I could just make out the distance on that line. It said 500 meters, but I couldn't see the compass. So I didn't know which way to go. So I had the direction, but I couldn't work it. So what I had to do, I've worked this out, is that I had to walk in circles and I'd go like this. I've got a stag on my back. I'm walking around like this. You know, and I'd see that I was getting closer to camp, and then as I'd move away, I was getting further away. Okay, so this is the direction. So I'd go off in that direction for a while, but pitch black, and had no idea where I was going. And I'd get 20 meters away, and I'd do another circle so that I could work out which was way was closer. And um, anyway, it was laughable. I got to the point where I just, this is absolutely ridiculous. I think I'm just going to lie down here and cuddle this dead stag and wake up in the morning. <laughs> I actually got to less than 10 metres away from camp and I still thought I was lost. That's how black it was. It was just crazy. But the reason why I say this is because, because um, it's a funny story. No, the reason why I say this is because Prophecy is a little bit like this GPS. It wants to bring you closer. It wants to bring you closer to uh, finding what it is that your direction is. And it's important that we don't treat it with contempt. You see, the thing about spiritual gifts is that they're there for our benefit. They're there for us to be able to hear the voice of God together. They're there for the community to be blended together so that we're dependent upon one another. This whole idea of independence, me, God, and my gifts, that's what it's all about, eh? Me, God, and my gifts. 
and I value myself accordingly. That's not what Christian community is all about. It's me, God, and our collective experience of God helping one another to find the will of God for our, for our lives. That in itself is a beautiful picture of what the whole work of the Spirit is designed to be. So this allows us to understand a little bit more of what Jesus was saying when he said to the woman at the well, he said, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is truth. The scriptures are truth. Spirit empowers, ignites, and encourages us to ensure that all this comes together. You know, Jesus encouraged the disciples about the work of the Spirit in that final meeting that he had with them in the upper room. You know, when he said, I, I, I leave you my Spirit. He will guide you into all truth. In fact, you will do even greater things than me, he said. And that was a direction giver for the church for centuries to come. So let's go back to what Paul said to the Corinthian church, because in true Corinthian style, they'd taken these gifts and they'd made an absolute hash of it, an absolute dog's breakfast of running church. All right? And I say that with accuracy, dog's breakfast. This was just a mess. Paul said, tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, they will, not say, will they not say that you are out of your mind? Okay, so this is an insight into this church. So people got excited about the gift of tongues and they decided when we gather together, let's just go hard on this whole gift of tongues. And so they're all speaking in different languages, all doing this at the same time. And Paul's saying, hey, listen, if somebody walks in who's trying to work out who this Jesus is and he comes across this, he's just going to think you're nuts. Yeah. And that's true. It's true. It's true. Because there's no order in that. There's no discerning of what God is actually saying. See, the beautiful thing about the gifts of the Spirit when we describe them in this way, when they're described in this way as Paul is, he's saying, look, if somebody's going to speak in tongues... Let that happen and allow someone to interpret that. So then there's room for the Spirit to move and there's room for interpretation. If there's no interpretation, Paul says, you move on. Okay? And that's why Paul said it's greater, it's better for someone to prophesy because you're not using a different language that's not understood by somebody. You're actually speaking in a word that is discernible as Paul describes it. So let's push on and see what else he says about that. He says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of, of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. So prophecy, as I say, is not, Thus saith the Lord, the Amalekites are on the border, and we're going to be overcome by them. Prophecy is our ability to engage with one another with our shared understanding that's an accumulated revelation that we might have had from years of experience, our understanding of scripture, and then the accuracy with which that applies to our lives comes through the work of the Spirit in any given moment. Okay, so 
Paul is saying in that environment where people understand one another and hear the work and the word of God together, that is when true Christian community is formed and God is glorified, the spirit is working and and the the very essence of church is a vibrant, life-giving, joy-filled experience where people come away enriched, strengthened, admonished, yes, challenged, yes, different, hopefully. The best place for this to happen is in exactly the same environment that it happened in Corinth, and that is in your homes. That's why we have a big emphasis on life groups here in the life of our church. You see, within the network of those life groups, God, by his spirit, is working powerfully amongst all of you. And so what happens is in that familiarity that you have with your friends as you go in and you meet each other, you enjoy fellowship together, you open the word together, you share your needs that you might have for prayer. And in those moments, you might have just a leading of something where you feel God is saying to you and you need to test that. And so you can do this in a gentle way. You could be saying to somebody who's got a problem, hey, um, you know how you said your boss is giving you a hard time? You know, I just think the Lord might be saying to you to respond in the opposite spirit. Don't, don't meet anger with anger or fire with fire. Why don't you pray for him and ask God to bless him and, and bring a loving response to his anger? The person might go, okay, that's a good idea. And so in that environment, you can test what God is saying and test the response of somebody. And you use language like, could it be that God is saying, have you thought about what this could mean to you? Is God in this situation in this way? And you're not storming around with your hairy skin coat, thumping the table saying, God told me to tell you to tell your boss to get lost. You know? It doesn't work that way. Because the fruit of the Spirit, sorry, the gifts of the Spirit, like prophecy and like tongues, are wrapped up and immersed in the fruit of the Spirit. Like love, kindness, humility, patience, long-suffering, etc., etc. All of these things work together to glorify God and ensure that you are part of something bigger than yourself and you have something that you can bring to the party. Because God wants you to be fully engaged in what God is doing. The other thing that uh, can often upset people in the life of a church is where people will make a suggestion that this gift that I have is something that I can't control and you just have to hear the word that I have. Paul said the spirits of prophets are subject to the control of prophets. Now, if somebody comes ripping into your life and says, Hark! Stop ye in the name of the Lord, you know. I have to tell you this. I can't help it. I've got to say it. God's forcing me to do it. That's not God, okay? That's a whole bunch of human flesh and probably ego wrapped up in that, okay? In the same way with the gift of tongues. The gift of tongues is not a military takeover by the Spirit of God, okay? It's not a takeover. It's a subtle prompting of your spirit to exercise this gift. It's not a takeover. It's not, it's not crazy time. So no one who comes to you and says, I have to do this, I have to say this, or I have to whatever, is, uh, is actually legit. Okay? Unless it's evil. Unless there's some evil wrapped up in that. Okay? Something demonic. Because these gifts 
a God's kindness to us. They're not forced upon us. We don't ultimately have to respond to it. That's our choice. But they're not ways in which God will control us and there's no way in which we can claim we are being controlled. Does it make sense? It's very, very subtle. Very subtle. So Paul carries on and says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. May be built up. Because that is what it's all about. Often spiritual gifts are spoken about or paraded on about what it is it's about makes me so special or me so good. Any gift that you've got, as I've said a number of times now, is a gift that belongs to the body of Christ. It's a gift that belongs to the person that's next to you. You are gifted for the sake of others. You're not gifted for your own sake. The moment it becomes all about you, it is all about you. Okay, It's about the body of Christ. And the whole goal of the body is to find that place of giftedness where you fit in, plug yourself into that, and then be a blessing to others. Be a blessing to others. So therefore, Paul says this, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. So notice how Paul says, be eager to prophesy. Why? Because we're bringing counsel to one another that people can understand, but don't forbid speaking in tongues. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You see, within church life, it's very easy to take hold of Scripture and say, this is the Scripture, this is the portion of Scripture that I really like. I just love the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor, blessed are the righteous. Why? Because we can understand that and we make sense of all that. But Paul is saying that the experience that he's describing to the Corinthian church is equal to everything else that we could expect in our Christian lives. See, I don't want to live a life that is underpowered. I don't want to live a life where I rely on my own strength. It's not going to last too, too well. It's not going to be very effective. But each one of us is called to tap into what it is that God has already given us. And that is the work of his spirit, the fruit of his spirit. The church itself would have died within one generation if it wasn't for the power of the spirit. We would have been like the first century Lions Club or the Rotarians or something similar to that. And um, because at the end of the day, it would have been just a bunch of good ideas of how we should live together. But if they're not the spirit's activity in the midst of it, would never have survived. And so we in this generation, we're invited to take hold of what God has given us. And that just simply requires you to have a, a posture of faith, a posture of um, expectation. It says, when I pray, I can expect God to do something bigger than what I'm capable of. I can expect God to speak to me. I can expect God to use me to bless others, which is what this whole passage is all about. Because there was disorder in this worship experience, and Paul is putting order back into it, but affirming the gifts that we have. So for me this week, I want you to, I'd love you to just take hold of what it is that God is saying through his word, and take hold of it in a way where you can just say, Lord, 
how can my experience of you be bigger than my experience of you? How can you show me things that I've never seen before? How can I live a bit more of the super in the supernatural life? How can I be used just to to take it up a few notches and test what it is that you might be saying to me? Maybe in the comfort of your small group environment, and I encourage you to be involved with one of those, you actually say, hey, listen, let's, let's drive this a little bit further. Let's be open to what God is saying. If you have a vision, if you have a word, it may be a word from Scripture for somebody. Uh, it may be that you want to test um, tongues. You might speak with tongues and you might say, hey, look, if I speak in tongues, do you think someone might interpret this? Or maybe you've never spoken tongues before and maybe you could get someone to pray for you. Or maybe, as I experienced in my own life, just in a time of prayer when I needed it, I was open to God giving me that prayer language. All of these things are done without compulsion. All of these things are done as the Spirit leads with kindness. And so it's nothing to be fearful of. It's nothing to be scared of. It's just simply us in this generation stepping into what it is that God has already made available to us so that we live a life that is empowered by the Spirit, not empowered by our own strength. That's all God wants. And through that, He is glorified. Why don't we stand for prayer? Just invite the music team to come out if they're there. Thanks, guys. So what I'm going to do now is I'm, I'm just going to pray uh, in certain ways and you'll, you'll understand where you fit into this prayer because of your different experiences. So let me, let me pray and lead us. Father, I firstly want to pray for us as a church. I just want to pray, Lord, that, um, that you forgive us, you forgive me for the times where your spirit has really been calling us in directions that we haven't seen or we haven't heard. Lord, collectively, we want to be able to know your will. Collectively, we want to hear the voice of your Spirit leading us. There's a whole community out there that is desperate to know Jesus. They just don't understand it yet. And we, your your people, Lord, we want to be engaged in mission to do that. So, Lord, I pray you forgive us for that. We want to be people of the Spirit, Lord. We want to be people who are uh, just on that right right edge, taking this step forward with a posture of humility and a posture of obedience. Let us be there. So we pray you forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've missed it. And Lord, for, for those who've experienced some extreme examples of uh, spirit manifestation where you've walked away scratching your heads going, oh, I don't know if that was God or people. I just pray, Lord, that you would, you would heal people's understanding from that experience they may have had where they've been pressured into something or told that they must do or they have to or they should have this particular experience or that. We just want to pray for healing for people in that area of their lives. If we know that you, Lord, you're a gentle person, your kindness leads us towards repentance. And Lord, for those who have um, had an understanding that the Spirit's activity is, is, is limited now, Lord, I just want to pray that you'd open up a level of expectation, open up and lift people's eyes to the horizon where they can see 
where opportunities might be for more of what you're wanting for each person's life. A greater strengthening in this area of, of prophecy where people can understand truth, your truth in a way that really does bring about conviction when, when others hear what you have to say. Where people can bring words of kindness with love and accuracy. Where people are called to repentance through again love and kindness but out of conviction for their well-being. Where all these gifts that we read about, Lord, the miraculous, the gifts of healing, the gifts of words of knowledge, all these things, Lord, can be exercised in a way that is, that is normal and is comfortable and that brings glory to you, Jesus. These are the things we want. We don't want to limit God to our own experience because that just makes God a version of us. So, Lord, we ask that uh, in this time, you'd open the eyes of our understanding. And into this week and weeks ahead, through, be it through small groups or in our own devotional times, that Holy Spirit, you would, you would open up the eyes of our understanding, something fresh and something new. Give us space, Lord, to explore something fresh. And all of this, Lord, we know is going to just draw us closer to you. So Lord, as we um, you know, sing this song, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd, you'd allow people just to, to have a, a fresh experience with, with uh, that closeness that you offer. And so we do this to glorify Jesus. Amen. Amen.